Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. In Romans, and we learned last week in the first half of chapter 5 that living for Christ means you're living in God's grace. And and God's grace is at work in our times of suffering, and it's at work in our times of hardship, and it's at work also among people who don't even know the Lord yet, folks who who don't know God. Perhaps you're here today, and you've had questions about God and who He is. Perhaps you've come in kind of on the fence a little bit. You're not really sure. Hey, listen, God is at work in your life right now. You may not even know that, but He is. We learn that God is at work bringing people still, man, into his kingdom. God is still bringing people in to his kingdom and into his family. And we ended in verse 11 with Paul talking about the joy that we can have in our relationship with Jesus. Now, before we get to cha- uh, verse 12 and wrap up this chapter here today, okay, uh, I, I'm going to put this out there for you. Just a fair warning. Today's message might be a little heady, okay? We might get a little into the weeds some here today. It's it's hard to avoid it in a letter like Romans. Romans is the most theologically dense book in the entire scriptures. So to try to to get through without something that's almost impossible, but I will do my best to tie everything in here at the end for you here today, okay? Um, So... That's, that's where we're going to be at today, Romans uh, 5, verse 12, all the way through 21. How many guys, you, you think life is, um, life is not fair, right? You think life is, is not, not, not very fair for you? Or maybe if you're a parent in there, this is probably the way I should have asked this question. How many parents do I have in the room? Because you know where, where this is going, right? And you have a kid who asks the nails on the chalkboard thing, right? Uh, and it happens in my household every day. How or why or it isn't fair? I mean, you know, nothing's ever fair, and you have to explain uh, fairness to your kid. And, and and sometimes you just tell them it's not fair because I said so. <laughs> it's just it is what it is. And yeah, I mean, we 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 we've experienced that. You know, we live in a world that desires everything to be fair, right? Like we want fairness in absolutely everything right now. Our culture is inundating us with fairness. In fact, right now we're we're the world we live in. The moment we want everyone to start in the same place, everyone to end up in the same place, equal outcomes, right? Like we want fairness all across the board. Here's what I'm going to do to that today. I'm going to rain all over that parade, all right? Because fairness is a broken concept. I hate to tell you that, but fairness is broken, guys. There are different people in different situations. And so nothing really ever turns out quite the same. Nothing really ever turns out completely and totally fair. If you would want every person in every situation to be even across the board, you're asking for something that doesn't exist. Fairness does not exist. Life just isn't fair. And if you think about it today, here's, here's some news where I want to go this this morning. God, God isn't fair either. And we may not like that. We might want God to be fair. Hey, God should be fair. I mean, he's, he's God, right? No, actually, God's not fair, but that's a good thing. It's a good thing God's not fair. Why? Just very quickly, we don't get what we deserve. Uh, that, that's the good part. If God was fair, we would get what we deserve, but he's not. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. Because if he was, Jesus would not come to die on the cross. He wouldn't have to rise again. We would suffer the penalty for our own sin and our own punishment. Christ died so that, you know, we 
we could have life. And here's the thing, God's not fair, right? So he sent Jesus to die even for those who may not leave, you know, accept Christ this side of heaven. They may not accept the Christ at all. They might leave it and go into eternity never knowing Jesus, and yet he died for them. He died so they might have at least an opportunity or a chance to possibly know him as a savior. God's not fair. All throughout scripture, God's not fair. One of the best examples of this is Matthew 25. Jesus tells a story. In the story, uh, there, there's, a, well, there's a wealthy man, a landowner, and when he leaves, he, he has three servants, and he gives them uh, different sums of money, not fairly, not equally. He gives them each according to their ability, okay? Now, in the story, Jesus is representative of the landowner here. The servants he gives money to are representative of, of, of us, all right? Each according to their ability, to what they can handle. I, here's what that tells me. It tells me this, that I, I can't handle the same blessing that maybe you can handle. But you can't handle the same blessing that I can handle, right? So, so God gives us some things that are different. Ha, has it ever crossed your mind? Because I, all, a lot of us here, and I'll be honest with you, can I be honest, I fall into the comparison trap a lot. Like, I would love to tell you that I'm a pastor and I'm super spiritual or whatever. No, I, I fall in the comparison trap quite a bit. I do. I try hard not to. In the age of social media, it's very difficult. A lot of us in this room do too. Whether you want to admit it or not, you do too. Has it ever crossed your mind that perhaps God knows that if you had the things you're craving for, you would not be a blessing, you would be destructive with it? And so God gives you something different than what he gives somebody else because they can handle it better than what you can handle. Ever crossed your mind about that? That should change your whole outlook right there, right? That should change everything. Hey, what God's given me, I can handle. And as I'm faithful with that, God will give me, he'll give me more. He'll give me something that's different, different responsibilities. He gives you what you can handle. Often God dispenses according to our unique abilities to handle what he entrusts to us. This is a little bit of an extra. It's kind of not where I'm going today, but just something to throw out there here this morning. That same line of thinking pertains to sin as well, by the way. Like each time we sin, what does God do? God gives us mercy, forgiveness, grace to overcome sin. And then that's fair because we deserve the penalty that sin requires. But God isn't fair. He doesn't give us what we deserve, okay? So as we wrap up Romans 5 today, we're going to start in verse number 12. We're going to start in the place where fairness died. I want to take you to the place called the Garden of Eden, okay? Garden of Eden, Romans 5, verse 12. Paul says this, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, and everyone sinned. Yeah, people sin even before the law was given. Now, the law here, whenever you see the phrase law, we're talking about the Mosaic law, Deuteronomy, Old Testament. So kind of keep that in the back of your mind, okay? But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Now, just pause here for a moment, all right? So notice that Paul says Adam's sin caused death for, for all of humanity. And I kind of want to throw this out there this morning, too. If you're here today and, and you're kind of on the fence and you got some questions, perhaps you're here this morning and you say, man, pastor, here's the thing. Like, I, I think it's not fair for God to hold people accountable, you know, who aren't aware of what sin is, that kind of thing. Uh, what Paul is going to get into today, starting right here and what he'll we'll kind of end up with, what Paul is going to do, he's going to explain how somebody who was good, 
good? Who can live a good life and do good things and have good works and be like Mother Teresa on steroids? Like that kind of person. How someone who is just on a, a wonderful pedestal, how that person, even so, is, you know, in sin. And if they go into eternity without knowing Christ, they, they risk right, having eternal separation forever. Well, he's going to explain how that's possible here. So pay, I would pay attention to this because he's going to lay it out for you. And you'll understand today why that is the case. So everyone has sinned, right? Adam doesn't die right away. In fact, he and Eve, they, they live a nice long life. They have kids. They have a family. That kind of thing. All, all that great stuff takes place. But sin goes into full effect. And it starts right away. Away. I don't know if you ever noticed this or not, but in, in, the, in the story of Adam and Eve sinning against the Lord in Genesis, the, you know, we, we, we think often about sin and its punishment and sacrifices. Did you know that the very first sacrifice for sin, the first victims of punishment, because sin demands something, justice, punishment, right? The very first victims are, are the animals that God kills. You ever, you ever picture that? Like Adam and Eve sin, because they sin, they're like, holy cow, we're naked. Right? And so God says, you know what? I'm going to cover your nakedness. I'm going to cover your shame so you don't have to live with that. He kills animals. He takes the skins and the furs and fashions clothes to cover and hide their shame, their sin. You ever thought about that? So the very beginning in Genesis, we have the first view and inclination of the punishment that sin demands. There's not a physical death right away. Rather, there is a, a spiritual death, a separation. Throughout the cool of the day, God would walk into the garden, and Adam and Eve would take walks with the Lord and have conversation and relationship. That was no more. No longer would God do that because the, the, the intimacy with God was broken. So this relationship, this intimacy, no longer existed because of the sin that separated Adam and Eve from God. That's what sin does. Sin breaks the intimacy with God. We don't have relationships or fellowship, you want to call that, uh, with the Lord when we sin. Now, how does it impact you and me, right? Because we weren't there. We didn't commit that sin. You weren't there with, with, with Adam. In fact, you would tell me, Pastor, if I was there, I'd tell Adam, put that apple down, right? Like, don't, don't you bite that thing. We'd all be in the same boat. We'd all, we'd all commit the same sin, I promise you. We, we, we would. We weren't there. How does it affect us? That's what Paul's going to focus on in this passage. Adam's sin affects all of humanity, and we're going to get deeper into how it affects us here in a little bit, but here's the thing I want you to know today. I want you to know this, that because Adam sins, he's a representation of Christ, but he also represents all of humanity, okay? What Adam does impacts all of us. Think about this for a moment. You know, genetically, we have physical genetics we pass down from generation to generation. We even know that psychologically, you can pass down psychological stuff genetically, too. If your grandfather was an alcoholic and your father was an alcoholic, then you have a genetic disposition to be an addict somewhere, right? So even psychologically, it's there. So spiritually, it's kind of the same thing. Spiritually, it is passed on through humanity, if we all began from Adam and Eve, that we are sinners, so rather, what Paul's going to focus on is that the condition that we, we start in. We're not all inherently good. Our spiritual default condition is sin. That's where we all start. Our spiritual default is sin. Sin is your condition. That's your condition. That's how you start. Thank you, Adam, right? Like, sin's where it starts. It starts in sin. Now, Paul's going to group every person together here. 
And that spiritual position of sin with Adam comes into play. If you don't take care of sin in this life, then your reality is, is death. It's separation from the Lord for all of eternity. Here, here, here's the thing this morning. Sin is not nothing. Sin is not, sin is not a violation necessarily of something you've done wrong. It, 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 sin is more than that. And we know that because Paul remarks that people have sinned before there was any law to break, right? Now, he does it in a little bit different way. You can't punish what you can't name, right? You can't punish what you can't, you can't name. Let me give you an example here real quick. If you, if you commit adultery, it, it, you know, and you don't know that it's wrong to commit adultery, you can't really punish someone for that. Yeah, their condition, spiritual condition that we start in is sin. So yeah, we're, we're, we're committing sin. But if you don't know that it's wrong to cheat on your spouse, it's hard to punish somebody for that. But then once they discover and learn, it is wrong for me to have another person on the side over here, okay? I, I can't have a mistress. I can't. It's, it's, it's wrong for me to cheat my husband. Like, once we realize that it's a sin, it's wrong to commit adultery, then it actually it kind of ups the game a little bit. Because now, if we continue in this, we are knowingly living a life of sin. And Paul will come back to this here later in chapter 5, how that's actually worse for us. But you can't punish somebody for something they don't know. And yet, their spiritual condition from the very beginning is still that of sin because of Adam. And that is why Paul can say this, that sin is not a violation of just do's and don'ts. It's not behavioral. Sin is the condition of your heart, your soul, your spirit from day one. When you come into this world, that's where you start at. Verse 14, still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. That's what I'm saying, right? How even though there's no law to break, hasn't happened yet, your spiritual default is still sin. Paul says, now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. Boy, it's a vitally important verse right here. It describes the state of humanity prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus. But it also describes the state of humanity who is yet to surrender to Christ as well. Paul says everyone died. All had their intimacy with God broken, even those who did not have explicit commands to follow. Again, sin is our condition. It is not necessarily a series of actions that we take. And you say, well, pastor, okay, I, I got that, 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 okay. But what about somebody who's never heard about Jesus, right? So, so shouldn't they, shouldn't, should they not be held accountable? Like, it would be unfair for God, you know, giving your adultery example there. It'd be unfair for God to hold them accountable because they didn't know it was wrong, right? To, well, well, I come back to this again. Our, our, our position where we all start from is what? It's, it's sin. And, and, and you can say, well, that's just not fair, God isn't fair. We don't get what we deserve. But I'll say this. This is why it's so important to do missions. Why it's so important we support missionaries around the world, man, who are bringing the hope of Christ to those across our planet. It's why it's so important for you to share your faith. Not like Bible thumper, Bible beater, you're going to hell. Like, don't do that. But share your story of how God changed you, of how God impacted you, of like, I mean, you're going through a difficult time. How is it that you're not falling apart? Well, it's because I, I got Jesus. Let me just tell you what he did for me. It's, that's how you share your faith with people. And it's so important we do that. 
because a lot of folks are not aware of their spiritual condition. You say, well, you live in America, there's a church in every street corner. I get that. You know what? Most of us here in America, we, we don't know. I can, I can name you multiple people in my circles. They don't know any of this stuff. You can't take for granted just because there's churches out there that some of people are aware of this. They're not. You have to share your faith. You got to share it. Let me just dive further into this here today. Um, for a lot of decades here, especially here in the South, Deep South, right? Where, where I've grown up, or many of you have probably grown up. We've been taught that sin was a, a behavioral kind of issue. If you don't change your behavior and get things straightened out, turn and burn, right? As a kid growing up, um, my mom baked cookies or whatever. I'd get near the oven, and, uh, and every time the oven door opened, my first thought, I, just, I mean, that was just where I went. I thought... I don't want to be in there, you know? Like, like I don't want the Hansel and Gretel for all each I don't want to go to hell. It's too hot for me. Like, I'm, I'm good. To be honest, here's the thing. If your understanding of sin and your application to how to live this life apart from, from, from sin, if it's all based mostly or entirely, right, on behavior modification, changing how you live, all your actions... I'm saying this from a pastoral point of view. You have a shallow understanding of what sin is. That's hard to hear because some of you have been believers for a long time. You're like, well, you know, we don't drink, smoke, chew, go with folks we do. Like, okay, great. But it's not about behavior. It's not about changing. It's, so, it's deeper than that. That's not a full understanding. Sin is more than behavior. Sin is a condition. It's the condition of your soul. You focus in the Bible is not on, on sin being this, this change in behavior. Scripture is not focusing on changing your behavior from the inside out constantly. Hey, stop doing this, stop doing that. There's, there's no big long lists that you're supposed to follow here. Rather, it is allow God to come in and letting God transform your heart and transform your spiritual condition. Your sinful condition, follow me here, your sinful condition is about who you are rather than the outcome of what you do. This is fundamental. It's more about who you are rather than the outcome of what you do. Think about it like this. I'm a Braves fan. If you've known me for any length of time, you know that I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. I love the Braves. My brother played for the Braves. Uh, I have the shirts. I, have, I, have, I can name all the players. I go to the games sometimes. I watch the games. I check my phone for it. Like you, you would know I'm a Braves fan most cases um, without me saying anything. I'm wearing a hat, doing something. I am a Braves fan, it's who I am, and I do all these things because of that. It's an action, right? Sin and righteousness, or godliness, right, they, they operate in a very similar way. The spiritual condition produces actions in your life that reveal who you are. And that's why Christ can say this, you will know a tree by its fruit. Why? Because their condition if I have a condition of sin and I'm not following the Lord, then what I produce are things like lying, cheating, unfaithfulness, right? Dishonesty, all those things. I produce that in my life. Hypocrisy, all that's produced because my condition is not right. It's, it, what you do is an outcome of who you are. So when you focus on sin as the outcome, you don't actually deal with the root problem. My wife's a registered nurse. She's a pediatric nurse. She'll tell you. If you treat the symptoms, 
You still have the illness, so it'll come back. You have to get the right procedure or medication to deal with the root problem to eradicate the illness. So many folks go to the doctor, give me a Z-Pack. Why? They want the symptoms to go away. They don't want the root problem dealt with. Sin is the same way. You cannot focus on the outcome. You've got to focus on what's, where, where it's at. It's the condition of your heart and your soul by default. That's where the focus has to be. Here's what else this means. And pay attention, because if you're not paying attention, you'll say, Pastor, here, you're just, you'll get mad and say, I'm a heretic. Pay attention. Jesus did not die for your sins, okay? He did not die for your lust, your addictions, your whatever. Like, he didn't die for that. Why? That's behavior. If he did that, he would have to die over and over and over again because your behaviors are changing. No, he died for sin. He died for sin. He died for the condition of your soul. He died for where you're at. He died for that, not your behaviors. For who you are, so that he might fill you with his spirit and not change what you do. He wants to change who you are. He wants to change you from the inside out, how you think, what you say, where you go. It doesn't start with the outward stuff. It starts with who you are here. Are we following me here today? It starts there. And that's why it's only through Christ to have transformation. This is precisely why you can say to the person who's, who's good, who did all the right things, I'm a good person, I hang with good people, I do good stuff, I love you know, God and country, whatever it is you, know, you want to say. Hey, I, I, I'm in, right? And that's why you can look at them and say, well, you know, the Lord says you're not. Because it's not about what you do, it's about who you are and your condition. Has God transformed you, see? That's where it starts. And that can only come, not through good works or being good, it can only come through Jesus. He's the one that brings that transformation to us. If you want to change your behavior, and I think it's important, you should. You know what you do? You let Christ change your condition. You say, Jesus, I'm surrendering my heart to you. My life is over to you. Hey, I don't like living this way. I'm giving, not part of me, I'm giving everything over to you. You change me. Verse 15. There's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through his, uh, this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're made guilty of our many sins. Verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Sin is our condition. We've established that. That is our condition. But salvation is the unfair exchange. God unfair. And the unfair exchange is this free gift of salvation. God didn't go to Adam and say, hey, you broke it, you fix it. Like, that's not what God does, right? Uh, it, it, so often we'll do that. We'll turn to the person who broke it, who made the error, did the wrong thing. We force them to make amends, you know. How are you going to pay for that, right? How are you going to replace that? 
You don't say, hey, if you don't fix it, I got a great attorney. I'm going to sue your team. Like, you know, like, we'll do stuff like that, right? That's what we do. That's not what God does, though. God is not fair. And so what does God do? God says, hey, no one can fix this. It's broken. Adam messed it up. No one can fix it. I'll fix it. Not only will I fix it, I'll give it away for free. Now, we, we preach from the New Living Translation in most, in most services, okay? But depending what translation you use, NIV, King James, whatever it is, you'll see at least once, if not multiple times, this phrase in our passage today, free gift, free gift, freely given. What's Paul trying to say? Paul is making the point that salvation is free. It doesn't cost you anything. Salvation is 100% free. You know, for someone to truly forgive you, you typically have to do something, right? Like, typically, you've got to make amends, you've got to do penance, whatever it is to make up for the wrong you've done. But you can't do that with God, you know? You, you, you can't buy salvation. You can't do that. There, there's a story in the New Testament, in, in the book of Acts, there's a, there's a guy who sees the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. And he's like, man, people are being saved, and they're, 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 the blind are seeing, the, the, the folks who are the lame are walking. And he walks up, he's like, hey, yo, how much for this, like, spirit? I, I want that. And, and what, what do they say? Hey, may your wealth perish with you. Because you can't buy the things of God. You can't buy salvation. You can't buy God's power. You can't do that. Can't, can't make it up that way. And you can't, you can't earn it through good works. We talked about that a lot here already today. But you can't, you can't earn it through good works. Can't be good enough. You can't earn it through obedience. Well, I, I obey God all the time. Great. Romans chapter 4. Abraham. God credits Abraham's obedience? No. Not his obedience as righteousness. He credits Abraham's faith. It is his faith in God and God's promises. Our obedience, though that might be a good thing, doesn't guarantee anything. It's faith. You can't prove you're worthy of salvation. Hey, I know all the scriptures. I can quote it from memory. I know the stories. I hang with all my good Christian buddies over here. Isn't it great? God is not impressed by that, okay? You can't earn it that way. And, and let me just camp a little bit here because... Uh, I feel like there's a couple of you in the room, and maybe there's not, but I just feel it today. There might be a couple of you in the room who struggle with this. What I've noticed, I grew up in church my whole life. My wife grew up in church. Uh, you know, I, I've been a believer since, I, 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 would, I would consider a real authentic believer since, since college. What I've observed is this. The longer you're a Christian, the greater the risk that you kind of fall into this spiritual elitism, if I can call it that. And here, here's what I mean by that. It, you, you know, all you know are Christian everything. Christian friends, Christian music, Christian movies, Christian books, Christian pizza, Christian t-shirts, Christian sports teams, Christian whatever, you know? Hey, Patrick Mahomes, wasn't it great? Hey, I just want to give God glory. Maybe, I don't know, he's might be a believer. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just my, my point is like, you'll go, hey, isn't it great? Patrick's a believer. I have no clue, right? But, but that's what we'll do. You know, that's, that's what we'll do. <laughs> Listen, God is not impressed by any of this. He's not impressed by what you know. He's not impressed by how you pray. He's not impressed by who you run with. He's not impressed by your obedience. He's not impressed by any of this. If you're a type A, this is hard to hear, right? Like he's not impressed by it. 
You think, hey, how I'm living is more righteous than other people. No, not really. This looks different. And then, well, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I can do so much for God's kingdom because I know all this stuff and I do all this stuff. And we talked about it last week. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but the point is, is you know, God's not asking you to do a lot of things here. You've got to be careful that you don't look down on other people or, or, or treat folks, especially those who are far from God, as different because you somehow claim to be this big spiritual giant. God is not impressed by these things. I, I, I fear, the, one of the biggest fears of the pastor is that so many folks will stand before the Lord in eternity thinking that everything's good to go, only to discover that, uh, you know, outwardly they had everything where they should be, but their condition, the heart, right? The condition was never right with the Lord. And so that's what matters and that's what counts in the end, right? Salvation is, is, is free. It, it costs you nothing to find forgiveness and hope in Christ. The algorithm is very, very simple. It's Jesus plus nothing is everything, right? And here's the great thing. This algorithm, it, it's static. It never changes. You don't got to adjust anything. You don't got to change anything. It, it is the same. It has always been the same. It will always be the same. It's just Jesus. That's what you need. And so when Adam, you know, we've earned our way to death because what Adam did, we've earned the condemnation that results in sin. But in Christ, well, Christ earned our way to life for us. It's our faith in Christ that justifies us and makes us right before God. He did all the work. What do we do then? We respond in faith, right? It's up to us to respond. So we respond in faith. Our, our salvation is not contingent on the fragility of our own will. This is very important. It's not based on your own will in the sense that, hey, I, I can fall in and out of walking with Christ and that change. You might have different opinions about all that stuff, but my point is this. If it was contingent just on us, it would make Christ weak and it would make us being the person who has to work to constantly keep our salvation afloat. We don't have to do that. Salvation rests solely on Christ. Our job is to respond. Either we're going to follow him or we're not. Either we're all in or we're not. That, that's our job. It's the person and work of Christ who freely gives salvation to all who seek it. Adam's sin brought death to us all, but verse 17 points out this, that if we receive God's righteousness, we can have victory over sin. We don't deserve it. We deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. But salvation, well, there's an unfair exchange in salvation where God says, give me your sin, give me your losses, give me your hopelessness, give me your darkness, give me all that stuff, and I'm not going to give you punishment. I'm going to give you life. That's an unfair exchange. And it's only possible because of Jesus. And it takes one step, and one step only for you, just to say, I want that. I'm choosing this. I'm choosing Christ. I'm choosing life. That's, that's the step it takes. Sin is your condition. Salvation is the un unfair exchange. But there's a trade-off to this, because if you're going to accept that exchange, you cannot live for yourself any longer. You cannot do your own thing how you want. The trade-off is this. I'm going to live for Jesus. That's my trade-off. I'm living for Christ. Look at verse 18. Yes, Adam's sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. Hey, Adam messed it up for all of us. We're all in the same boat. We're all going to start in the same place. We're in sinners in need of a Savior, okay? But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. 
And right here, Paul's going to return to what he introduced in verse number 12. Adam was a representation of Christ. It is the selfless act of Jesus that saves all humanity. It is Adam's selfish action that, that dooms it. And because of Adam's sin, we're in the predicament that we are in to begin with, right? But Paul's going to begin to compare and contrast the actions of Adam and Jesus. And he'll talk about their implications. And you can't see this as clearly in your English, but in, in, in the first century Greek that Paul's going to write in, it actually reads this, that Adam inaugurated humanity. He inaugurates humanity. In other words, Paul's doubling down this idea. Adam's sin brings every person, all mankind, all humanity into the same boat. We are all lost in sin. That's our condition together here. No one accepts from that. We are, we're, we're, we're all there. But Jesus comes into the picture and he does what? Well, he comes into the picture and his sacrifice and his resurrection, it doesn't nullify and, and do away with that, but it gives you a way out, right? If it nullified it, then it would mean everybody is saved and we don't have to worry about missions or events. None, none of the stuff really in the New Testament matters anymore because we're, we're all good. It doesn't nullify it, but it gives you a way out, an exit ramp for you to take. You choose life by choosing Christ. You choose Him. He deals with your sin once and for all, okay? He takes care of it. So in the same way, it's His actions that spread humanity as well. And it's His obedience that brings us into the state of righteousness by faith. By faith. That's a, that's a key. It's important. So when we say yes to Christ, our sinful condition is dealt with once and for all. And we can begin to live our lives for Him. Now look at verse number 20. God's law was given so that all could see how sinful they were. I would underline and circle that one or whatever it is you do if you take notes because we're going to come back to this. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Up to this point, Paul's in pretty broad. He's talking about, hey, humanity, we're all in, the, in this bad boat because of Adam. And because of Jesus, we all have a way out of this thing. But now he's going to narrow the focus a little bit. Why? Because you remember, Remember, you're reading a letter that was written, you know, 2,000 years ago to people in, in Rome. This is not necessarily meant for everyone to read. This happens to be that way. We're able to read it. Paul's a Jew. Most of the Christians are Jewish. There are a lot of Gentiles or non-Jewish believers who are coming into God's kingdom, but that's, most of them are Jewish. And so there's a great, fair question to ask. What about us, right? What about Israel? How, how does all this work? And there's some tension because there's all throughout Paul's letters, he'll talk about it. There's tension. Okay, wait a minute. If I'm a, if I'm a Jewish believer, I mean, I got the law. I've, I've kept the law my whole life. I just chuck that thing? Are you kidding me? Like, what, what do I do with that? And Paul's like, well, yeah, you don't have to follow that. Christ fulfilled it. He's the fulfillment of the law. And it's hard for a lot of the Jewish believers to wrap their heads around that. And so there's a lot of conflict and question and tension, and Paul will try to address that throughout many of his letters, and he's doing some of that here as well. There's also a group that says, hey, because Christ died for me, and because Christ deals with sin, I can, I can live how I want. Isn't that great? Hey, the more I sin, the more grace that God gives me. And Paul will say in Romans, and elsewhere, he's like, man, no, 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 no. We don't say that, hey, because we're sinning more and more, God's grace increases. That's not how that's going to work. That's not how that happens, okay? 
So he addresses some of that here in, in this text. And what Paul's going to show is going to show this, that the law, Deuteronomy, Mosaic Law, Old Testament, okay? The law and its requirements don't alter salvation and how it works. Rather, it has a negative role on salvation history. Why? It doesn't bring you relief from your sinful condition. It shows you how sinful you are. It makes it worse by exposing the depth of your sin. Go back to my example earlier. If you don't know it's wrong to commit adultery, you know, and you're doing it, your spiritual condition is, again, one of sin. But once you know that it's wrong, it changes the game. If you're a parent in the room, think about how you, how you teach your kids. The first time they do something wrong, you don't laugh it off. Oh, it's okay. I know. You tell them, hey, Jimmy, we don't throw the cat down the stairs. Right? We don't do it. And here's why. And we explain why. If you do it again, Jimmy, here's what I'm going to do. Like, that's what we do, isn't it? And so now Jimmy knows. If I do this, I'm in trouble. The game's raised. That's what the law does. The law shows you the depth of your sin. And because of that, it increases the punishment or the judgment for that sin as well. It cannot save you. It can only increase the level of judgment that God brings against you because once you have knowledge, you are knowingly living apart from the Lord in violation of Him. And that's why Paul says... God's grace is more abundant. Not so you can live however you want, but because you need this grace to overcome the power of sin in your life. You cannot live a victorious life in Jesus without the grace that saves us from this judgment. So what do you do with this? So, all right, pastor, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> what am I doing with this thing? How do I live this out in my life, you know? Well, to answer that, I want to take you to 1 John different place. Real quick, real quick. First John chapter 1, verse number 5. John says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we can have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, well, then we can have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Gabrielle, come on up. A life living for Jesus is not one of spiritual reflection or intellectual persuasion. Okay? Some of us in the room are way more spiritual than me, and you, you, you are very deep in your thoughts and prayers of the Lord, and that's great but it's more than that. I, I, I admit it, I'm a bookworm. I'm a kind of nerdy guy. I, I fall under, in fact, my whole story of coming to really give my life over to Christ was intellectually based. That's, that's really how I did it. So I, I, I can relate to those folks. But it's more than those things. It's so much more than that. It is all-encompassing, all-encompassing, every part of your life, every aspect of your life and who you are. You, you give it over to Christ. It's receiving the exchange of salvation and choosing to live for Christ in every single possible manner in your actions and words. Being a Jesus follower is not a label. It's not a little demographic. It's who you are. And every part of your life should reflect that and produce that because your condition now is I'm a follower of 
of Jesus. And what I do and what I say and where I go and how I treat people, it is all impacted because that's who I am. Conversely, as John points out, if you choose to deliberately live in darkness but profess to follow Christ, well, you're living a lie. You're living a lie. And if you dig a little deeper in the text, man, John has in mind this, that you're actively hostile towards God and towards others. So many folks will come through a church door and they've gotten one in their mind like how to live for Jesus. It's, all, it's not scriptural based, it's cultural based, how they grew up or whatever, right? And they profess that. You know, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. But their life doesn't add up to it. And I'm not saying you have to live perfect because that's crazy. You can't do that. But how they live and where they go, and what they, it, 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 it just doesn't add up, you know? And John says, if that's you, and I don't know if you're here today or not, but if that's you, John says, hey, you're living a lie. You should probably change that. You should probably change it. Then he says, we have fellowship with each other. That's, he, he's not distinguishing our relationship with others apart from our walk with God. Do you, you realize that? that God's, uh, John sees this too as, you know, my walk with people and God, he sees them as linked together. Which makes sense. Because we're in the kingdom, our family of God. So we're all in this together, okay? John sees him as connected. If you're, if you're growing in your walk, your heart's going to reflect the Lord. And it means you have a desire to see people as God sees them and to treat them as God treats them. And you're not spiritual elitist, you know what I'm saying? Like you're not looking down on people. You're loving them. You're serving them. You're helping them grow. You're forming relationships with them. You're letting the Spirit of God change them. You're not changing them. We, we always try to change people. You can't change them. You let God do it. God is not fair. He's not. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing because we don't get what we deserve because He's not fair. And whether you came in here today, man, just understand this or not. Understanding that, hey, sin is our condition. Understanding that it's not behavior. <clears throat> I just want you to know that every person in the room is on the is starting in the same place. We're we're all sinners in need of a savior. So we're all starting from the same spot. The difference is some of us in the room have already made the decision. We're going to accept the unfair exchange, our sin for salvation. And we're going to do the trade-off where we begin to live for Christ. Others of us in the room probably have not done that yet. And if you're here today and say, Pastor, I'll be honest, like, that's, that's not me. <clears throat> I haven't done that yet. What do I do, you know? <laughs> well, simply, the only thing you can do is to accept Christ. And say, Jesus, from this day forward, I, I want to live for you. I, I want my heart to belong to you. I, I want to commit myself to you. That's, 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 that's the step you take. Maybe you're in the room and it's a different person God's dealing with today. Perhaps you're in the room and, and, and the Holy Spirit is dealing with you on some of this like elitist type stuff I talked about a second ago. Like, hey, I've, I've got all the knowledge, Pastor. I, got, I, do all the, I do all the right stuff that Christians should do. And you, you have kind of thumbed your nose at people who are, who, are, who are not where you're at, who are not followers of God yet. Maybe they're far from God. I expect them to kind of look like me and act like me. And that's just what It took you 20 years. You think it's going to take them like one night? It's going to take them a little bit. Like maybe God's working on your heart. And if that's you in the room, you know what your, your prayer today is? Your prayer today is this, Jesus. 
change my condition, not my behaviors. I want the root problem dealt with. I thought my heart was right. I don't think it is. The Holy Spirit's really dealing with me about it. So Jesus, change my condition. Change my heart. Really transform me. Because I want the outcome of who I am to reflect my heart. I want my actions and my words. I want, I want all those things to reflect accurately who I am. And I want to be a follower of Jesus. Through and through. All then. Bow your heads, close your eyes if you would this morning. Perhaps you're here today and say, Pastor, I, 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 I need prayer, man. And the first thing I need to do, Pastor, is say yes to Christ. If that's you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do two prayers today. One, I'm going to pray for those of you who don't know Christ. You would, you would be honest enough to say, I, I am not someone who has taken the unfair exchange, but today is a different day. I want to say yes. I'm going to lead you in a prayer where we make Christ our Lord and our Savior. You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to even say it, you know, the same way I'm saying it. I'm going to model how this looks for you. And you say it in your own words, okay? Then I want to come back and pray for those of us who are believers. And perhaps we're struggling with how we view people today. And we're going to ask God to just change our condition. Not our behaviors, change our conditions. Father, we love you. I thank you, Lord, for those this morning who would say, I, I, I need Jesus. And, and God, I thank you for their honesty. And I pray, Lord, right now that wherever they happen to be, whether they're watching online or they're right here in person, Lord, I pray this. I pray, God, that their hearts are open to you. And that's you today. We're going to pray a prayer that goes like this. Jesus, I'm sorry for the sin that I've done. Please forgive me for the wrongs that I've committed. I, I realize today that sin is my condition. I mean, that's... Uh, God, I, I'm so sorry that I've lived this life that has been apart from you, this, that, that has grieved your spirit and who you are. And, you know, it's, I, I don't really like living this way anyway. And so, Lord, here's the thing. I, I'm asking today, will you change my condition? Will you change my heart? Will you save me from my sin? Jesus, you died for my sin. So, Lord, will you save me from my sin? Will you save me? And, and from this day forward, I'm not going to live for me. I, I'm going to receive this unfair exchange of salvation. And now I, I, I want to live in that trade-off that Pastor Andrew talked about. I want to live for you. So from this day forward, I'll live for you. I'll, I'll follow you. I'll do the best I can, Lord, to, to serve you. And I, I know, God, there will be times where I'm not going to measure up. And in those moments, man, will you pick me up when I fall down? Will you help me see the value of your forgiveness? Will you help me overcome sin in those moments? Because I, I, I've lived my own way, and I know how that works, and it, and it doesn't end well. I mean, I, I need you to lead me. I, I don't want to lead myself. I've, I've made a mess of things. I need you to lead me. Will you be my Lord today? Be the Lord of my life, and I will follow you. Be my Savior today. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, for those who are here and they're already believers and you're dealing with them right now of their own conditions, may they be fully aware, God, that it's not our, our outcomes and our actions and behaviors you need to change. It is our condition where those behaviors emanate from, where those outcomes are produced from. The condition of our heart is not right. So, God, will you change our hearts? 
Will you change what has to be changed? Will you, will you, God, begin to remove some things in our lives that are holding us back? Will you help us see people as you see them? Will you help us love folks as you love them? God, will you change the very condition of our soul today? We focus, God, on our walk with you, living for you and walking with you and loving people, God, as you love them. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus to die for our sin, to die for our, our spiritual condition so that we might have hope and life and forgiveness. We pray and ask all this in your body and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.